Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about the Holy Spirit, and the title of the message is about the Holy Spirit. Pretty unique, wouldn't you say? This is lesson three, and we've been emphasizing the fact that the Holy Spirit is the divine agent who is at work in the earth today. Our redemption involved God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. God the Father is the one that planned it. God the Son is the one that came to the earth and worked it. And he was here for a certain amount of time to do what he had to do. Then when he would go back to heaven, he would send the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is here now. And the Holy Ghost has picked up the baton. And he's here in the earth today. And what's he doing? Convincing the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Of sin because people don't believe on Jesus. Of righteousness because I go to the Father. And all that was necessary to make a man right with God, he accomplished and achieved when he was here upon the earth. And then of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. You know Satan has been judged? And anyone that follows his path will be judged with him and spend eternity in a lake of fire. Sound appealing? I don't think so. I didn't think so. Right? So why do we want to follow him? Listen to him and follow his ways when you've got God's way which leads to life. Amen? Now the Holy Ghost is in the earth right now. And he's working through you and through me to carry out all the works that Jesus accomplished when he was here on this earth. To make them a reality in our lives and empower us to proclaim it to the world. Amen. Whether you play an instrument, whether you sing a song, whether you usher, whatever you do. You are a shining light, an instrument, a tool of righteousness in the hand of the living God. You are empowered by the Spirit to carry out a life mission. And nothing is more important than you fulfilling that on this earth. We're told Jesus himself said, Father, I have glorified thee on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Did you hear that? John 17, verse 3. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Now give me the glory that I had when I was with you from the beginning. And he went to, to glory. He got all his glory back. But notice he said, I finished the work that you gave me to do. There is a work that God has given all of us to do. We all have a work to do for God. Every single one of us. There are no unused members in the body of Christ. The head can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. We're all needed and all necessary. And when we come together as a living organism of love and carry out the purpose of God's will, what great things he can do for us. Amen? Praise God. Okay, to blaspheme the spirit is dangerous. Another review. Look at, look at Mark chapter 3. He is at work in the earth today. And he is 100% God just like God the Father is God. God the Son is God. God the Spirit is God. The three in one. Three, yes, unique individuals. But one, one God. Three in one. Verily I say unto you, this is Jesus speaking. All sins shall be forgiven unto the sons of men. And blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? Something to think about, wouldn't you say? Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. So I want you to look at Acts chapter 5. 
beginning at verse 1. And this is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And you may know it. It's just, it's off the heels of chapter 4 when they were threatened not to preach and teach in the name of Jesus. They went to their own company and, pre and told all the things that were said to them. They lift up their voice to God in one accord and prayed and said, Thou art God that made heaven, earth, sea, and all that in them is, and so on. And then they prayed, stretch forth your hand to heal that signs and wonders are wrought by the name of the Holy Child Jesus. And the place was shaken where they were assembled together. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. And then they began giving to one another. Great grace was upon them. Great power was upon them. And then they started working together, giving of themselves and all that they had to promote the kingdom of God. Chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God." And Ananias, hearing those, these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. Wow. In verse 1, we notice this. They were under no obligation. Look, but a certain man, he sold a possession. It was his possession, and he was under no obligation to give any part of it whatsoever to the work of God. None of it. There is no obligation. He didn't make any commitment to do so until a certain point. So it was his possession to do with as he wanted to. Look at verse 2. And kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part, now notice this, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now you may think that to be a small thing. But you know what that's doing? By laying it at the apostles' feet, it was like surrendering everything in worship to God. It was coming before God and saying, I'm giving you my all. All that I have, I am laying down for you. It was an act of devotion. It was an act of worship. It was an act of homage. I've come just to pour all that I have and give it to you, Lord, to advance your kingdom here upon the earth. And my, and my wife's with me. We're going to do it together. They were separate at the time. But now they are professing to give their all to God. Look at verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, and we're going to point out certain things here. Why hath, number one, Satan? Number two, filled your heart. Number three, to lie. Number four, to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land. Uh-oh. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? So you see here, Peter couldn't know this except by revelation. It was the Holy Spirit that gave him a revelation of what was taking place. There was no record among them as far as how much they sold their property for. But God knew. The Holy Spirit knew. They knew. And they pretended to bring it all as an act of complete devotion and surrender to God. 
Well, they lied to the Holy Ghost. And in so doing, they both died. You talk about an act of judgment. Such a wicked crime that judgment fell immediately. But look at number one. Why had Satan? Great deeds of wickedness can be traced back to the devil himself. Look at Luke 22 and verse 3. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. We go all the way back and we find out something in the, in the act of creation and the fall of man. We discover this. Lucifer, you know, had a high position before God. But we are also told that he made a decision that he would overthrow God. Where did that thought come from? Where did it originate? Well, how do thoughts get into any person's mind? Through the eye gate or through the ear gate? So there was no one that told him he could overthrow God. But when he saw the beauty of God, when he heard the worship of God, he within himself said, I will exalt my throne above the throne of Almighty God. He originated a thought in his mind that he could somehow possibly, because he understood the law of faith and how God spoke things into being. And so he declared five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Just like in the beginning, God said, God said, God said, God said. So he took it upon himself to start thinking that I am going to use the law of faith and I'm going to overthrow God himself. And what happened? He fell. But then we see him come along in the Garden of Eden. And what does he do? He approaches Eve in a very subtle way, we are told. In a way that's not intrusive. In a way that really, it's a polite way just to get her to stop and think about something. And what happens is the same way he fell, he, feel, he figures, I can inject that into her. And if she could think that what I'm saying is really something good, I got her. Um, did God say that if you ate from that tree? Well, he didn't mean that. See, he really knew that if you would, there's something so much better for you. So much more wonderful for you. So think about it. So the thought is there. She entertains the thought. And now she sees it. It's good fruit to make one wise. And what happens? She's deceived. You see, it's like we talked about the mask. If you go to a masquerade party, you hold up a mask. It covers your face and it shows you another face. And that face may look really, really good. But behind it is something very, very evil. So he said, look, man, you're going to be so, be so good. You're going to be like God. And she looks, you see, and then when the, she partook of it and the mask came off, it gave birth to death and destruction, did it not? She was not vigilant to protect her thought life. Listen carefully, we may talk about this on Sunday a lot. We must be vigilant to protect our thought life. This is a precedent that was set at the very beginning and the opening of the Bible. 
We see this happening right here with Eve. And if you go to the very end of the Bible, you'll notice this. When Satan was locked up for a thousand years, he was not, a, he was not able to deceive anyone. But the moment he is released after those thousand years, what is he able to do? Deceive once again. He uses lies, suggestions, thoughts to inject them into people's minds to make them think something is better than what it really is. He's offering something more than what they already have. And they're deceived into thinking that they're going to have something a whole lot better, but yet the road is paved with destruction, death, doom, and gloom. So what people do is they look at that from the outward appearance and say, this looks pretty good, and they start walking down that path, and before you know it, the bridge is out and they're doomed to destruction. Oh, it's so important that we are vigilant to protect our thought life. So notice here, Satan was the one who did what? Deceived him into thinking, this is a good idea. You look good in front of the people. You're going to give half of what you have. Keep half for yourself. But fool them into thinking that this wonderful man gave it all. He surrendered it all. But yet he was holding back half of it. Look at James 4, 7. This is what he should have done. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You know what? It's useless to resist the devil if we don't submit ourselves to God. Submit ourselves to God. Surrender to his will. Surrender to his ways. Surrender to his purposes. Even though your flesh wants to do something, that may make it feel good don't fall victim to it because on the other side of that mask is sure death and destruction surrender to God this is maybe what I feel like doing but God I'm going to surrender to you this is what I really want to do but I'm going to surrender to you I'm going to give my all to you I'm going to submit to what your will says I'll tell you what if I surrendered to my flesh right now I'd bop them right in the head in love of course but don't do it. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And then he'll flee from you. If she would have done that, oh, you'd be robed in glory today. We all would be robed in glory today. Can you imagine that? James 4, 7 says, submit, resist, and he will run from you as in terror. Okay, number two. Why has he what? Filled your heart. Notice the heart was full. Full of something that he wanted to do. He had the intent to do it. Once again, he wasn't forced to do anything, forced to give any amount of money. But here is something that he re really wants to do because his heart is filled with it. What that tells me is he started little by little, little by little. See, to fill something up, it takes to keep putting something in. Little by little by little. Go ahead, hold back. Go ahead, hold back. See, initially, they may not have done that, but he kept on saying, go ahead, hold back some of it. You know, you can pay off your kids' loans, you, college loans. You, you can do this with the money. You can do that with money and so on and so forth. You know, buy a new camel or cow or whatever. Right? And it gets better and better. Okay. That's like a pretty good idea. So his heart gets filled with this idea. Remember, protect your heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. So he's pecking away and filling up their heart, filling up their mind with lies, 
deception, deceit, things that are going to bring them down, and they're unaware of it because it looks so good on paper. So they were fully occupied with doing it. So you start with the lie. You start with the temptation. He begins his work, deception to deceive people, and then they get filled with it, full of it. And then you start going down that path. Look at the next one. To lie to. To lie to. They were excited to do it, but notice it had to be a lie. They were going to lie to. They were going to attempt to deceive by keeping back part of the proceeds of the land that they had sold. So now we can see Satan's plan of operation taking place. He is filling their minds and their hearts with something that looks so good to them on paper. And in the reality of them experiencing even more for themselves, they pretend to give all to God. As if God didn't know what they were doing. But notice the next point. Who did they lie to? Who did they lie to? Didn't we earlier say that you better watch how you treat the Holy Ghost? Because if you don't treat the Holy Ghost right, it's a dangerous situation that you find yourself in. Absolutely. So they lied to the Holy Ghost. And the word that's used here is not just God, but the actual Holy Ghost, the third person of deity who's at work in the earth today. They lied to the Holy Ghost. Uh, look at Acts chapter 5 and verse 9. It was a great sin that brought judgment into their lives immediately. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Who are they tempting? The spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. It was such a wicked act to pretend that they were giving their all to God when they weren't. That judgment fell immediately and they both died instantly. Now notice this, when a person attributes his work to the devil, as Mark said, I'll tell you what, you're in a danger zone. You are in danger of hellfire when you start saying that it's the devil that's casting out demons. That's a sin against his office. But then also, when one sins against his office of convicting and convincing somebody of something, like sin, righteousness, and judgment, you're sinning against his office of convincing and convicting. When that happens, you ready for this? There is no forgiveness. You cannot come to Christ apart from the Holy Ghost. It is the Holy Ghost that draws us to Christ. He is at work in the earth. This is his ministry. This is what he's here to do. He does it through us. He does it to us. I was under conviction probably for a couple of years before I actually gave my heart to Jesus and I did not know what conviction was. I did not know the Holy Ghost was hovering over me, speaking to my heart and speaking to my mind because I cried out, I want to be saved, but I don't know how to get to heaven. He would send labors of love across my path. But I thought they were lunatics saying you must be born again. I never heard of anything like that, but he did not give up on me. He kept on and kept on and kept on and kept on and finally I saw the light. Oh, thank God for the light that we can see. And by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, I knew I had to be born again. I gave my life to Jesus, praise God. And then, of course, I got filled with the Holy Ghost and power. But, once again, if you sin against His convicting power, there's no other way you can come to Christ. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He's the only one to bring you to Christ. And so if you say, I resist that, I reject that, so on, 
you have no way to get to Christ. It's impossible. Is there anything more important than where you and I will spend our eternal destination? Once again, I don't have any takers to go to the lake of fire. How about eternal glory? Any takers to go to eternal glory? Absolutely. All right, so it's important that we understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we are not in any way to speak against his ministry, to act out against his ministry, to lie to him, etc., etc. Now, some important truths about the Holy Spirit. Number one, he can be neglected in the life of a believer. Look at he, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, he can be neglected. These are important truths so that we understand our relationship with him and how he wants us to treat him. Look at the verse. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. The gift that is in us is imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. When I first got saved and then filled with the Holy Ghost and power, a gift dropped into my heart. The gift is the Holy Spirit, but it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. The teaching gift, the preaching gift, whatever. Whatever the gift may be. There are so many different varied gifts we know in the Bible. We understand that whether they're power gifts or, or, or inspirational gifts, uh, vocal gifts, uh, whether it's um, even serving gifts. God has gifted every single one of us to do something. And that is a precious impartation that comes from the third person of deity. And to ignore that is to neglect what God wants to do in us. For example, you take some of these praisers and musicians. I'll take Tammy for an example. I've watched her over the years. She went from not playing instruments to picking up the guitar to playing the keyboard, using her vocal talents to serve the living God. She never knew what it was like to, to lead a worship team and so forth. But what did she do? She developed the gift of God that was in her. God gave her the vocal gift and then God enhanced that with the ability to play as she, she applied herself to learning. So each and every one of us has a gift given to us by the Spirit of God that is not to be neglected so that we could use it for the honor and glory of the living God. But to ignore it, to neglect it, is an offense against the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Do you know how many people are gifted that are living in sin that have no respect for God whatsoever. You know how many gifted vocalists are out there in the world in Hollywood and so on, the music scene out there, they're using their gift for evil and not for good? Oh, there's a gift. God has something for every person that's out there in the world today. But yet they don't know it. And they haven't come to Christ. And so they, don't, they can't experience it. But you know what? It's there. If they'll just call upon the name of the Lord. We can neglect the gift of God. Or we can enhance the gift of God that's in our lives. When I got my call, the very first thing he said, go off to Bible school. I had to go off to Bible school. People said, don't go to Bible school. I had to go to Bible school. Why? Because I had to learn more. I wanted to learn more. It was my desire to learn more. I had a hunger for the word of God. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes people will say, how can you quote scripture like that? I don't know. I really don't know. I just started reading it and reading it and reading it and reading it before I just, it's just coming out and coming out and coming out and coming out. Uh, 330-799-2102. Now it's 216-799-2102. That's the original number for the pizza shop Wedgwood in Austin Town. Which I haven't used in 40 years. 
for some reasons numbers just stayed with me. So chapter and verse just stayed with me. It's like something dropped in me about that and it just stays in me. And so chapter and verse, chapter and verse. Now names, Lord help me. Help me with names. For some, some people say that if, you have, if you're good with names, you're bad with numbers. And vice versa. I don't know, that's some, what some people say. I'm praying for names. Number two, he can be grieved. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, 29 and 30. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. To grieve means to make sad or sorrowful, to cause grief. And in this chapter, he's talking about specific sins that can be in manifestation that bring sorrow to the heart of the Holy Spirit. And once again, remember, this is his dispensation. He is at work in the earth today. He is ever endeavoring to get people to walk down the right path. But there are things that we can do. I guarantee you, when we talk negatively, he is not happy with us. When we speak against the word of God, he is not happy with us. When we get engaged in all kind of uncontrolled anger and etc. and emotions and all that, he is not happy with us at all. He wants us to line up with the word of God. He wants us to be angry, but sin not and don't let the sun go down upon our wrath. He wants us to walk in love and manifest love. And if we'll do that, we are working together, co-laboring together with him to accomplish the purpose of God in the earth. And that's our responsibility. So you see, once again, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not just for thank God for the glory and thank God for the anointing and thank God for healing people. But you know what? I'm going to say it boldly. The altar isn't the cure-all. Because if you get someone come up here to the altar and they have negative thought life, you could pray for them. They might even get relieved for a moment. The moment, the moment they walk out that door and they don't, if they're not vigilant to control their thought life, the door is right open for the enemy to come right back in. They need to be taught and trained in the Word of God. It is the Word of God that enables us to overcome all the onslaught of the enemy, all the wiles of the, de of the devil, we are told. How did Jesus stand against all the wiles of the devil? It is written, it is written, it is written. We must know what is written. We've got to get it in our heart. How does the Holy Spirit work? With what is written. When the Word was spoken, the Holy Ghost came and manifested the glory that did what? Brought about the, whatever was spoken. And so when you and I declare what the word of God says to be true, he is watching over that word and he is going to hover over that and bring it to pass. Remember what Mary said? Be it unto me according to thy word. And boom, the Holy Ghost came on her. And the work of God was accomplished and achieved in her. Amen? We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit by offensive speech, being in, having ingratitude or having an unthankful heart and spirit. He wants us, praise God, to cooperate with him and not grieve him. Number three, uh, he can be quenched. Very important. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19. Quench not the Spirit. Don't put the fire of the Spirit out. There are certain things we can do to quench the fire that's within our soul. And it's up to us to avoid that. Now, it's talking about adding fuel to the fire or quenching the fire. Not giving it the fuel that it needs. Do you ever see people trying to make a fire? And they start giving it some oxygen? Why? To fuel, add to fuel that is necessary for it to, to, to burn. And this is really uh, related back to back in the Old Testament when it was the responsibility of the priest to do what? To keep the fire burning on the altar. It was their responsibility to keep the fires burning brightly and don't let them ever go out. 
Well, you know what? We've now become the temple of Almighty God. And we've got the life of God on the inside of us. We've got the fire of God on the inside of us. He said you'll be filled with the Holy Ghost and what? And fire on the inside of us. Fan the flame. Fan the flame of the fires of God within our souls is what he wants us to do. And so, if we fan the flame and nourish it with proper care and attention, what happens? It's going to stay ablaze. But if we allow worldliness to get in, if we allow vanity, levity, pride, and all other things to get in, lying, cheating, stealing, etc., etc., lust, and so on, the fire is quenched. It's not burning like it needs to be. And that's why even when you come to church like this here, you just get on fire for God. You start, you hear the word of God, you worship God as we did in the beginning here. Something is stirring on the inside of you. It is the power of the Holy Spirit within. And you all the time. I love this about him. Yes, he'll be sitting, he's playing his video games. And then he'll come over, tap me on the shoulder and say, Dad, I'm going up for my devotions. And he'll go up to his bedroom. Goes up to his bedroom and he's not up there about 10 minutes, I get a text. He's just up in the bedroom, I get a text. We don't talk anymore, we just text. Dad, how come every time I come up here and I start to worship God and I start to read the scriptures and do my devotion, there's something stirring on the inside of me. Something exciting is taking place in me. And I believe it's Jesus telling me he's coming back again. But he's always coming back for, for him. He's always coming back for Andrew. And I just, I just tell him, you're stirring up the gift of God. You're stirring up the Holy Ghost that's on the inside of you. That's exactly what you're doing and that's what it is. So through prayer, fellowship, Coming together like this, study of the word of God. What, what do we do? We stir up the gift of God that's within. Number four, he can be resisted. This is very important. Look at Acts 7 verse 51. Acts 7 51. This is Stephen. He's being stoned to death now. Right? Look what he says. You stiff neck. You know what a stiff neck is? Ever have a stiff neck? Talking to somebody with a stiff neck. Right? And you're over there. And they can't turn their head. You know, they got to turn their whole body to talk to you. It just it won't go that way. Mm -hmm. They're saying you're so stiff-necked. You're so one narrow-minded, one-sided, narrow-minded in your thought life. This is all you see is this right here and you can't look any other way. Stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart. That, that's very important. Uncircumcised in heart meant they were circumcised in the flesh, but uncircumcised in the heart. They didn't have a genuine born-again experience is what he's saying. You do always do what? Resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. What were they resisting or opposing? The message that was brought to them by Moses. The message that was brought to them by the prophets. The message brought to them by Jesus. The message brought to them by the apostles. The message brought to them by the power of the Holy Spirit as he moved upon their hearts and minds. But yet they opposed him. They resisted him. They stood against him. They put a wall up. They could not see it no matter what. You could raise Lazarus from the dead and you could see that he was dead for four days. You could see his body was decaying. But guess what? I don't believe it. Resist, resist, resist. Who are they resisting? The Holy Ghost. And what happens? You're in danger. Of what? Hell fire. Eternal separation from God. That's exactly what they were doing back then. They didn't want to hear what Jesus had to say. They didn't want to hear what the apostles had to say. Or any of the prophets. They killed the prophets. Look at the last one. He can be stirred up. Oh, do you got your stir stick ready? Do you have your stir stick ready tonight? He can be stirred. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 6, look at what it says. 
Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. He's talking about the person, the presence, the power of the gifting of the Holy Spirit of God that is within your soul. Stir up the gift. You remember in Hebrews it talks about the gospel doesn't profit anybody who doesn't mix faith with it. The Holy Ghost may be within, but we have to stir up the gift of God that is within us. Stir him up. Stir him up. He's there. Activate him. He could be there dormant, doing nothing but just sitting there, or he can be activated. How is he activated? Oh, as we start praying, as we start studying the word, as we meditate the word, as we confess the word, as we worship the Lord, as we come together in fellowship, all of a sudden something begins happening. And then as we enter into the realm of the gifts of the Spirit being an operation, we are stirring up the gift of God. Intentionally, we are worshiping God, stirring up the gift of God, fanning the flame of the fire of God on the inside of us, letting him know that we reverence his presence. We reverence his giftings. We reverence his power. We will show respect to him. This is something that's really, I believe, detrimental in, even in Pentecostal circles. All this idea of people coming in sanctuaries and all that, I, I know I'll get shot down for this. They're bringing in their coffee. They're bringing in their water. They're bringing in their this. They're bring, they got cup holders. They got all this stuff. Their soda, their this, their that, and their Starbucks and everything. Like as if we're going to a movie or something like that. God is holy. You can have all that stuff outside. But when you come and you present your all before the throne of Almighty God, show him reverence, show him respect, bow before his throne. I'll tell you what, you'll have the Holy Ghost to move. You'll have the Holy Ghost's attention if we'll do that. But it seems like we've become so lackadaisical when it comes even to Pentecostal circles that we don't realize individually we got the glory of God on the inside of us. But when we gather together like this, we have a greater manifestation of the glory of God and of the gifts of God in operation that we can yield to. And so God wants us to reverence his presence and let him know, you are a holy God. I guarantee you this. There would, no, there would be no worship leader that would have to say to you, come to the altar and bow down. If this was the throne of God and the angels were crying, holy, 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 and his train filled the temple, I guarantee you like Isaiah, you'd hit the ground just like that. You'd bow down, you'd throw down your crown, and you'd say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'll tell you, true worship is not what we're seeing today. True worship is when you see the holiness of God. You bow to the holiness of God. And you lift up from your heart, praise God, your worship, your praise and adoration to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As we see in the book of Revelation chapter 5. Oh, they bow down before the throne of God. They cast down their royal crowns. They said, holy, holy is the Lord. You made us and not we ourselves. We belong to you. You've redeemed us, Jesus, by your blood. Right? You redeemed us by your blood. You're the worthy lamb to take the book and loose the seals thereof. <clears throat> Isn't that what it says? And they bowed down. They got their hope, their harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. You can be in an atmosphere and a setting. And I've been in these atmosphere, this atmosphere and setting where the glory of God is ushered in. And I'm telling you what, there's nothing like it. You can't define it, you can't describe it. Once when I first came here and once when I was at school, what amazing manifestation of the glory. I was in a class at Bible school, and I forget the subject, but we're all just enjoying, you know, the teaching. And all of a sudden, the, 
girl sitting right next to me started shaking. When I tell you shaking, she was shaking the whole uh, seat that she was in was shaking as well. I'm just kind of looking. I'm a little bit more reserved. I'm looking and this girl's going crazy here. I'm thinking, ooh, she getting a blessing or something. Next thing I know it, she stood up and the person that was teaching said, come up here. And she walked up there and she said, the Holy Ghost is just all over me. I, I recognize that. I see the Holy Ghost is just all over you. And so she's up there in the front. And all of a sudden she said, if you want a blessing, if you want the anointing, if you want to experience the glory, come on up here. Well, people started walking up there and they would get near her and fall on the floor. Another one walk over to near and fall on the floor. Well, this is a school, okay? And this is a classroom setting, right? And so they want to squash any kind of uh, wildfire fanaticism and excess and all that sort of thing. And so someone starts, I guess, on their walkie-talkies. And they called one of the ushers to come or one of the supervisors or whatever. And this fellow says, I'm going to put a stop to this. This is like a little out of hand here, you know. So he comes from the back over there. He comes walking right up to the front. He's going to tell her, boom, fall straight on the ground. Just lay flat out just like that. Like he walked into a brick wall. Next thing you know, everybody was walking up and falling all over the place. The glory of the Lord just settled in that place in a powerful and profound way that all this began to take place. Then, when I first came here, years ago, I don't know if it was 81, 80 or 81, you don't hear these things till later. People were saying, let's go check out that Midland church where that young whippersnapper's at. I didn't know I was a young whippersnapper at the time, but that's what I was told, that I was a whippersnapper. So um, I was invited to go over to Prayer Mountain up there at the, you know, Prayer Mountain. You know, have you been familiar with Prayer Mountain over off of 51? Right, okay. So I, I go up there and I'm just going to share, I guess, a little bit. I'm going to preach a little bit, whatever. And God gave me the message that I had, four points from uh, Kings, Second Kings, uh, Elijah and Elisha. And I started preaching on that, how Elisha was hungry for the things of God. Elisha wanted what Elijah had, but he wanted a double portion of what he had. He liked what he had so much, he wanted twice as much. And so he followed him from Gilgal, type of Calvary, salvation. He went to Bethel, type of divine visitation. He went to Jericho, manifestation. And finally went all the way to Jordan, where he completely surrendered his heart to the living God. When I got done with the message, just about that time, let me back up. That was my message. But before the message, during the time of worship, we were just standing there worshiping just like this, like we were doing tonight. I look, this is an open air now. We're outside. I look over to my right and I see a cloud and I think someone's cooking out on a grill. Because I see the smoke going up just like that. And I look over. And I'm worshiping and I look back over and I see the clouds through there. The wind's blowing but it's not moving. And there's no grill. I look again. It's the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord I saw. The Lord allowed me to see it over there during the time of worship and praise. Then when I got done with my message and talked about how at the very end complete surrender gives place to the working of God's power, people started coming up. I said, come on up. And the same thing happened that night that took place in that schoolroom. People would walk up and boom, just hit the ground just like that. Just like that. Just like that. Just like that. Amen. And you know what? I didn't know this, but it was God's favor upon me at that time. Everybody else wanted to check out the whippersnapper. But it was the glory of God that was in manifestation to draw people in. I'll be honest with you. From that point on, our church grew like in leaps and bounds. 
in a powerful way. God will put his hand and stamp his hand of approval upon those that align themselves with his will, with his work, and do it his way. Having the right heart at the right time, doing the right thing. Being in the right place at the right time with the right heart, doing the right thing, is what God wants us to be. Can you say amen to that? So, stir up the gift of God. Let's give reverence to the Holy Spirit. Let's all stand together before the Lord.